Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And joining me is my co-host, a fellow H-Town sports junkie and veteran journalist, Stephen Kerr. 65 plus years in sports journalism between the two of us. Later in the show, we listen back to a conversation we had with Rockets legend Robert Reed, who passed away this week. If you're a Rockets fan and don't know how important Reed was to this team's legacy, you got to stay tuned. But first, Stephen, I got to ask just a simple question for you coming out of the All-Star break. Did the Rockets screw up last summer's free agency? Did they nail it or is it somewhere in between? I'm going to go with somewhere in between, Robert. I mean, I don't think that they I, I certainly don't think they've screwed it up, because if you think about where they were last year and where they are now, they have certainly moved forward. Now, could some things have happened differently, you know, fallen into place? Yeah, sure. But, you know, could, could they if they had gotten Brooke Lopez, would they be a little better? Well, maybe hard to say. But now I just think it's somewhere in between. Uh, there's some good points and bad points to the, the two big ones that the Rockets got. So, you know, and, and you could toss Jock Landale in there and say, yeah, that probably didn't work out too well. So I'd say it's a mixed bag of sorts. Yeah, it's pretty much, but we'll get into this a little bit. And I, I just want to start off with the big three moves. There was Dylan Brooks, Fred Van Vliet, and Brooke Lopez, the signing that never was, of course. Right. And Stephen, I'll start with Van Vliet. And I know there are fans who are still mad they didn't sign James Harden. Their anger has simmered a little bit more since Harden's being everything you'd want him to be with the Clippers right now. But my contention is we'd never get this Harden. He'd never defer to these young guys in the same way he's doing with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. He'd also be committing a four-year max money deal, more money than Van Vliet for sure, because of those last two years that you're not having to sign Van Vliet. And it would be more money, period. And would you want to have max money invested in Harden in his late 30s with your young guys coming into their prime and contract extensions coming up for those guys? So Stephen Van Vliet, still the best choice without giving up legit assets, I think. Oh, absolutely. And I think, and I've said this before, I think that Fred Van Vliet's on-court presence has been a really big thing to help these young guys, you know, in their learning curve. You know, unfortunately, Ime Odoka has, has used him probably, you know, too much, as we've talked about, which may or may not have led to the injury. But I think the signing itself, for for at least, you know, for now and the immediate future, was a good pickup for the Rockets because he has helped them in numerous ways. And, yeah, getting back to James Harden real quick, I'm pretty confident in saying that it was Rafael Stone who really wanted James Harden. I don't I don't think Ime Odoka wanted anything to do with having James Harden and with good reason, because I don't think the Rockets would be quite where they are now. And they certainly would be a lot more inconsistent. Probably you're, you're not going to get the James Harden that you got when you got him in 2012. I mean, that's just, there's just no way he's, as you said, in his thirties and not as effective. So, you know, maybe from a passing standpoint, he certainly still has it, but he's just not going to fit the Rockets scheme that, that they have this year. Maybe he unlocked Shane Goon, maybe not. I, I, it's hard to say if he would have done the same thing Fred would have done or has done, I should say, with Shane Goon. So that's something that you can debate about. But like I said, it's it's really the long term where you get in a struggle with Harden and Van Vliet. And also, like I said, you're paying him more money. So then how do you get better defensively? Because then you might not be able to find that guy that you can pay with Harden to help out on the defensive end the same way that you did with Dylan Brooks. And we're going to get to Brooks in a second. But you know, there were other contracts that you're al allowed to do because right. you didn't right. sign James Harden. And some of those contracts might not have mattered. Maybe you don't think they mattered. But I just think as a long-term play, when you look at this, it's still a big picture thing. And, and and that's the part about it that's important. Like And like you said, Stephen, we've talked about ad nauseum, this whole idea that, you know, this was an Odoka decision. And, and every indication was that he was the guy that came in and said, you know, no James Harden. And you got to trust somebody that actually 
coached James Harden just a couple of years ago and dealt with James <laughs> Harden in a bad situation. Yeah, if anybody would know, he would certainly. And look, where the Rockets are, or where they were, I should say, at the beginning of this season, you wanted somebody in there who could have real leadership qualities if you're going to build around these young guys, you know, Jalen Green, Jabari Smith Jr., Shingun. Uh, James Harden is not the type of guy who's going to do that for them. You know, if anything, they might even have some some more bad examples from having him on the team. So I just think that Van Vliet, you can look at his numbers and say, yeah, they've gone down a little bit. His shooting has kind of been helter-skelter, you know, lately before the injury. His defense got off to a pretty good start. It's kind of gone down a little bit. Yeah. But I just think a lot of it is the fatigue factor that he was a bit overused, you know, probably more than we thought he would be when he came in. And he's been a useful product, but... You know, if you wear a product too much, you can wear it out. And that's, I think, what's happening to him right now. Yeah. I mean, you could just say his, his, his downfall is the fact that he played too good. <laughs> you know? Yeah. He played too good. So, you know, Udoka is going to use him more, and uh, which led to him being out of the lineup now. So that's not going to help. I like the Dylan Brooks move at the time, if everybody remembers what I had to say about it. But I also mm -hmm. thought he could, Udoka, I should say, could better control his shot selection, which he has, and his personality, like the technical fouls, which he hasn't. I'm more on the fence, I would say, than I was at the time because his defense, it's been a slight disappointment, even though his shooting's been a pleasant surprise for surprise overall, although not recently, of course. But Stephen, some thought you had a better version of Dylan with Tari Eason. That was a thought by some of the fan base. But how bad would it have been not to have Dylan with Tari's injury? Oh, what, yeah. what you and I also can't know is, you know, of course, like Van Vliet, the influence he's having on the young core six, like their work ethic and preparation, that sort of thing. Well, here's what Dylan Brooks gave you, along with, you know, the, the numbers and the stats. Yeah, we knew that he was over-aggressive, shall we say, and getting the dumb fouls. We, we knew that coming in. But what Dylan did do, I think, he brought some attitude to this team, Robert. And that's something that the Rockets sorely lacked during this whole rebuilding process. They had none. Dylan Brooks gives you that. Yeah, his defense definitely could be better. And the, the thing is, I, I don't know. I don't have numbers in front of me to back this up. I don't know that he is taking fewer shots than he was maybe a little bit, but he's taking better shots. Yes, yes. That's, that's the key. Good. Yeah, that's the, that, that is the key because I, you know, I think one of the things that people would say, oh, he take, takes these long mid-range jumpers, which by today's analytics is terrible. And he was doing that some at Memphis. That for the most part until recently, I think I've seen him do it a couple of times. But for the most part, he's gotten rid of that. He's either in the post, he drives to the basket. His drives are good and bad, but you know, it's a mix. But the three-point shot, if his feet are set, I can usually tell just by where he gets the ball, you know, whereas like the ball hitting his hand and where is he on that three-point shot and how square up he is, whether it's going to go or not. And, you know, for the most part, if it's a good, you know, angle that he's got and if it's a good pass that he has and his feet are all set, then he's going to make that shot. Well, and you think about it, uh, you know, with the struggles that Shingun has had and, you know, with Jalen Green being up and down this season, I don't think we anticipated that Dylan Brooks was going to come in and be a scorer to some extent, but boy, aren't you glad he is at this point? Just, you know, considering how inconsistent that part of the Rockets game has been this year. Yeah, and, and what he brings defensively and with the three-point shot, so the 3 and D wing that everybody loves to have in the NBA, how do you find that if it's not him? You you basically paid for somebody that probably wasn't going to come to your team voluntarily. Then you would have had to trade assets to go get that guy. Right. And what, what assets did you want to give up? Because, you know, and we're going to get to this, you didn't have the second-round picks after the Brooke Lopez thing. Although, you know, if you if you didn't calculate that into the equation, giving up the second round picks because you wouldn't have signed Dylan Brooks. And it's a long convoluted story, but mm -hmm. you know, what happens? Like what's the sliding doors thing? 
But still, I don't know, just second round picks can get you, you know, a guy that would have had the skill set that Dylan Brooks had. No, I don't think so. And I, I mean, I'm more concerned about the second round picks down the road, I think, than I am, say, this year. But no, I agree with you, Robert. I don't think that that, that would be possible. And just the intangibles that he's brought and then, you know, some surprising aspects to his game that he has honed as the season's gone along. Honestly, I mean, I would even put it ahead of Van Vliet as, as the better signing in some cases. I, I, I don't think he's as good as Van Vliet's been, but still, I think overall you got to like what you've gotten from Dylan Brooks so far. Speaking of the second round picks, let's let's get to the guy that wasn't a good a good signing because it didn't happen, and that was Brooks Lopez. No question, miscalculation, bad one by the Rockets. It led to giving away those second round picks. The awful Jock Landell panic signing, which I felt like it was kind of a panic signing. I, I didn't understand, you know, the money that he was given based on what he had accomplished in the NBA. But I still disagree with the idea that Lopez would have hindered Shangun's development, which I know that was a big concern among a lot of fans. Udoka's not dumb. He would have recognized Alpi's importance to a real offense. I've always insisted Lopez could have played with Shangun because of his ability to shoot and add a vertical threat on the offensive end. And then defensively, you know, I think Brooke Lopez and, and Shangun would have figured out a way to do. I mean, it's not perfect, you know, as two guys, two bigs, because being able to run and cover the court, but still it would have been better than what you have right now as far as size goes. And he's everything fans are crying that the Rockets need right now. And Steven, it turns out giving away Garuba, Ty Ty, and Josh Christopher weren't a big deal. They're either in the G League yeah. or on two-way deals or, you know, actually none of them <laughs> are in NBA rotation. So, you know, that that was not something that you really had to be concerned about as it turns out. Well, there may have been some rough edges if you had put those two together. But yeah, you talk about the shooting. I mean, you look at Brooke Lopez's numbers this year. He's averaging 13 points a game. His uh, field goal percentage is 48.3. He's 34.2 from the three-point line. So, you know, his, his points of totals have kind of dropped a couple of points since uh, the season before, but not extremely. I, I just think, yeah, he would have added the value of the shooting that the Rockets so desperately need right now. Now, I think what they were counting on, as far as Jock Landale was concerned, he did have a pretty good postseason last year, if I recall. Maybe they were thinking he could dip back into that and do it over a full season. <laughs> that obviously hasn't happened, though. Yeah, I just thought it was too small a sample size to give him the money that they oh, gave sure him. Now, the yeah. contract, they're going to argue, well, this contract's a great contract because it's tradable and we can use it to aggregate. And, and, and if that happens, fine. And maybe we can judge that whole situation all over again. But Well, it wasn't that tradable this year with the trade deadline. And the, I mean, can, uh, assuming that they were trying to move him and it just didn't happen. Well, I, I don't know if it wasn't trade. I just don't know if they found the trade that... The, the thing about the, the contract is you have to find the guy that you need and then you, right. they have to like the other things because Jock Landau wasn't going to be a guy that anybody's like, oh, I want this guy in the deal. It was just going to be a matching contract. Well, yeah, it'd be a part of a packet, certainly. Yeah. So it's it, like I said, it, it's a weird contract that every year has it out for the rest of the contract. So it's it's something that you could keep around. But unless they're going to deal it this offseason, you know, I just think you got to cut him because to have him race, wasting a roster spot again is is, is a big deal. And I'm going to I'm going to come back to him because. You know, that goes, he goes into the others category and I want to get into those guys because literally the first guy you want to talk about, Jeff Green, nobody can complain about Jeff Green. Nobody, oh, no. period, should be complaining about the Jeff Green signing. Great signing, no question about it. And, and then what he's done for guys beyond the basketball, you know, beyond his playing and whatever is, is a big deal. But nobody else should be complaining about Aaron Holiday or even Reggie Bullock because both took small deals for what would have been a or what's been a terrible organization what 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 it's been a terrible organization for basically three years leading up into this year holidays had his moments but neither were expected to be mainstays in the rotation so i i don't have any fault with those two signings so basically steven 
Lando and team mascot Bo Boban, both of which are complete waste of roster spots right yeah. now, especially Boban. You know, those that's where you got the complaints. That that that's where you have every right to complain. It's honestly just the Lopez miscommunication, though, when you think about it, that was the most egregious mistake and is your biggest complaint because you you lost those second round picks for for nothing and you're stuck with Jock Landell. And then maybe you don't care about Boban if Lopez is on the roster. No, absolutely not. And, you know, the, the other guys you talked about, yeah, they were low risk. But as far as the whole situation there with Landale, Boban, you know, Stephen Adams, hopefully will take care of that situation next year. And then whomever else that they can get, either in a deal or in a free agent signing that will, you know, beef, beef up the front of it, that will take care of it. But you certainly could have used some better options this year. Now, as far as Jeff Green, I, I call that the pleasant surprise signing. I mean, I just was not expecting what we are getting from Jeff Green. I certainly, you know, to me, that was the biggest surprise signing, not that the fact that they signed him, but for what he's doing for the team this year. And I just, when I look at the big picture, the overall big picture of, of the offseason, really, it was more hits than misses. And it's just that Lopez one that just is so bad. And it, yeah. it's just a, because of what it cost you. Yeah. And, and yeah. it's kind of a sliding doors, like a bunch of different things happened because of it. But, you know, as a GM, you want a GM that gets more right than wrong. I have my issues with Rafael Stone. I feel like we, I'm going to have to do a whole show at some point. I'm I'm going to I'm, I'm going to bring in I'm going to bring in Frank or somebody to to discuss this, because I know those those guys like Frank and Salman Ali and some of the other guys that I've had on the show would uh, have a lot more to say about all of his stuff put together. And I, I definitely have my thoughts. But, you know, Stone this summer, I felt like for the most part, he got it right. It's just, you know, the Brook Lopez, it, it's beyond uh, just. You go, okay, well, he made that one mistake. It's it's how he reacted to the mistake, too, that also affected. And the fact that he wasn't prepared at all for Lopez to say no or didn't have the communication. I mean, that's the it's it's those little things that really drive you up the wall. Yeah, that's basic negotiation one on one. I mean, if you don't have the communication and knowing. Yeah. And you've also got to have a contingency plan in place in case that doesn't happen. For me, it's not always the number of misses. It's the seriousness or the quality of the misses. And that's where I think you're, we're talking about here with Rafael Stone. It's, you know, yeah, I think for the most part, he got the signings right, but the one that he didn't was very costly and it made him look bad. And he just kind of tried to brush it off. Like it was no big deal. Tell us what you guys think out there that are listening and watching us get in the comments. We want to hear from you. I'm going to kind of blow past the all-star weekend disaster for the most part. I'd lost interest in it years ago for all the reasons everybody groaned about Steven all-star and football games. Uh, they're just about as relevant as eight track tapes these days. Well, yeah. And you know, Robert, here's what I think is to me, the only all-star game that has any quality left out of the four major sports is the major league all-star game, because you don't have a watered down version of it in football in the pro bowl. You, you can't blitz. You can't do this. You can't do that in basketball. I mean, it's just like they just stand around and, and just throw shots up. Nobody guards anybody. I mean, 211 to 186. Come on. Really? I, I just think that as, as relevant as the all-star games have been in the past, I, I don't think it's the same thing. The players don't even take it as seriously as anymore. So I'm wondering if perhaps what they need to do is just make it a weekend of skills competition, but instead of doing players, have it with teams. You know, I kind of like what the NHL does with their all-star weekend now. You know, they have a bunch of skills competitions individually. Well, and, they do do skills competition. I mean, this Well, I'm one. talking about, yeah, individually, but I'm talking about in, instead of having an all-star game, why not make it like a, a team situation where you have – some of the stars of the league, they kind of did this before in the all-star game, but I'm talking about have them pick players that would be the best at, at say slam dunking or three pointing and doing stuff like that rather than skills competition, you know, on Saturday and then a game on Sunday that nobody watches. Yeah. The skills competition 
that's called the skills competition is a big disappointment now because it just yeah. it, guys just treat it like a joke. I mean, that's the problem. It, unless you can get these players to not treat it like a joke. And here's the thing. The, the players of the past, the leaders, the best players, yeah. you know, the LeBron James, let's call it, I'm going to call out LeBron James just flat out because he is leader of the NBA at this point, as far as players go. Right. If LeBron James, you know, would have competed in the slam, I don't think he ever competed in the slam dunk contest. If he would have competed in the slam dunk contest, then I think other great players, but it, it, it got to the point where it used to be like Michael Jordan and Dominique Wilkins and the best players competed and now they don't. And that's the same deal with the three-point yeah. competition. The best players a lot of times do compete in the three-point competition. So the other guys you see like Dame and Steph will, will be in the three-point competition. In the skills competition, I just feel like it's a dumb it's a dumb setup. I don't like the way they do it. It's, it, look, it looks like a bad miniature golf setup or something well, like that. Yeah, I agree. And here's what the NHL does. They actually made their all-star game or classic a tournament style. And maybe, you know, with the NBA doing their in-season tournament and – the play-in tournament, maybe that's what they kind of need to do with that. Now, it was a watered-down version. Yeah, they they played, you know, 10 minutes apiece, two periods. You had uh, two teams going against, against each other. Then you had two other teams that went against each other. And then the two that, teams that won met in the finals, basically. The, and that's how... Yeah, the, the Rising All-Stars does its very similar setup. Right. You know, same right. same type of deal. And, and yeah, that's something maybe you could do. Maybe that would get people a little, little bit more interested in it. I just don't know. I mean, I just... Yeah. I but, feel like this is... This comes down to the leadership... <laughs> of the players yes. and they're the only ones that can change anything. And until that changes, you know, and, and I, I just feel like this, it's kind of a generational thing, Stephen, because I just remember that guys from our generation, I would say, or post or our earlier. a little bit post our generation, I would say growing up, those guys were just such competitors and hated right. to lose and hated to look stupid. They wouldn't have wanted to be out there, you know, just like it was screwing around, like not even trying and like, Oh no. Are you kidding? You, can you picture somebody like Michael Jordan or Larry Bird having teammates that just stood around to do, I, I mean, I don't care if they were just on an all-star team, they'd get the chewing out of their lifetime if they did that. And that's why I was saying, I just don't think it's as relevant now. And that maybe like some of the other traditions, I know purists don't like it, but some of the other traditions that we've had in basketball and football and baseball, maybe that has to change along with it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, uh, let's close out with this and really sad news. On Monday, Robert Reed passed away at age 68. The second round pick out of St. Mary's in San Antonio played with the Rockets from 77 to 82, retired for a season, and then came back to play for Houston from 83 to 88. He finished his career with Charlotte, Portland, and Philly, but without question, he's going to be remembered as a Rocket and secretly a key guy to their 81 and 86 finals runs. In 86, he was thrust into a starting point guard role when John Lucas had his drug suspension, right? Reed was a six-eight forward who Stephen, you'll remember, was suddenly guarding Magic Johnson in the Western <laughs> Conference Finals and was running the show for Akeem and Ralph. Yeah, he certainly was. And and you know what? You, we all, I guess, have heard about the miracle shot that Samson took in the '86 series when the Rockets beat the Lakers four games to one. Well, the guy who took the big shot before that was Robert Reed. He set up that shot for Samson. Otherwise, it, it probably wouldn't have happened. And here's something else that was kind of interesting too, Robert. You know, he, he played in the 81 and 86 finals against Boston, as we said. In 81, yeah, he was guarding Larry Bird. And in two games, he held Bird to, I think, eight points apiece. And Bird wrote in his autobiography, he kind of backhanded Robert Reed a bit with that. He said, yeah, I get held to eight points a game. And all of a sudden, Robert Reed is some defensive genius. I don't know what everybody's, I don't know what all the fuss is about. I can think of several players better than him. <laughs> you know, that doesn't surprise me that Larry would say that. But listen. You know, you put him up against the big guys when he's a forward, and yet he's playing guard and, and guarding these guys like Bird and Magic Johnson. Hey, he held his own. I, I mean, he really did. And then he made some big shots that 
kept the Rockets moving forward. No, they didn't win the championships in those two years. They got awfully darn close and kind of like the Oilers and the Steelers, you know, you met up against a dynasty that nobody was going to beat in the Boston Celtics. Yeah. And we're going to come back to a couple of things that you mentioned in the interview that I had with Robert Reed, including Larry Bird and stories about Bird as well. So you're going to want to listen to that. Also, Reed and Alan Level played on both the 81 and 86 finals teams. They were the only two guys. So, you know, there's not many guys that have multiple finals runs with the Rockets. Reed right. and Level, of course, Dream. And Dream's the only one that has played on, I think, more than two because he played on the 86 and the two championships. And the two championships, right, right. My friend uh, Bree, one of the Red Rowdies, who you guys know as Rockets Girl on X, if you follow her at all, she said that she see him at games, Robert. And he always stopped to talk to fans. Stephen, he was a great personality. And I vaguely remember him hosting the Robert Reed show back in the 80s with the Rockets television studio host at the time, this unknown Houston young girl named Hannah Storm. Mm, yes, I do remember that vaguely. And, you know, he also he was a color analyst, I believe, on the, the U of H broadcast. I think it was you know quite some time ago, of course. Yeah, but it was about mid, I think mid 90s. Mid 90s, yeah. Yeah, he was he was the color analyst for the radio broadcast. And, you know, the reason that Robert Reed retired the first time after the 83 season, if I remember right, it was when Moses Malone was traded to the 76ers and Robert Reed retired. He wanted to focus on his religion. And then, of course, he you know, he came back and yeah, a couple of years later. Yeah, you're going to hear that story from him and he'll give us this true, honest story about what, what happened there. And, you know, I, when I think of that Robert Reed show, I just one of the images that I have is Reed and Hannah Storm both coming out for their show and complete black leather, full on, huh. full outfits in black leather. You know, this was the 80s, but still right. it was pretty, a, pretty much a bold statement back then. Now, of course, NBA has become a fashion show, but that show unfortunately didn't last long. I wish I remember more about the format and that somebody had a clip from it on YouTube because it sure would be kind of fun to revisit right now. Yeah, I never watched it. I just remember the name. And you know, since you brought it up, it's like, oh yeah, it was one of those, oh yeah, I remember moments. All right, well, his old... Rockets teammate Major Jones said he was a tremendous teammate and an even better person. Uh, in the last decade, I've been lucky enough to interview many of my favorite childhood players. Nine years ago, me and my original co-host, R.G. Seal, interviewed Robert Reed. So R.G.'s a Roberts. You're about to hear three Roberts, by the way. And it's definitely one of my favorite interviews. Reed and R.G. also share a birthday, August 30th, same birthday as Reed's 86 finals opponent, Robert Parrish. Hey, how about that? And also... Almost a rocket a few weeks ago, Miguel Bridges. How about that? Um, <laughs> uh, My world. Yeah, here's the late Robert Reed telling us stories about Akeem, Ralph Sampson, Moses Malone, Rudy T, and guarding Larry Bird. Thank you, Bobby Joe. We'll miss you. We're really excited because dropping in on Houston Sports Talk is former Rocket Robert Reed, Bobby Joe, as he was also known to Rockets fans, spent 10 of his 15 NBA seasons in Houston, helped lead the Rockets to their first two finals appearances. Pleasure to have you with us, and I want to take you back a ways, Robert. You were drafted in the second round and eventually surprised everybody by taking Rudy T's starting spot. Most of us remember Rudy T, the coach. Tell us what Rudy the player and person was like in those days. I really didn't take Rudy's spot. Let me tell you what happened. I was number 19 on the team. There was 19 teams in the NBA at the time and 11 on the team. And what ended up happening was, after we had gone through a five, six-game losing streak, coming back from Cleveland, Tom Nassauke told me the airport, he said, hey, get ready, you're going to start tonight. And that was against New York, New York Knicks. 
And so the starting lineup was John Lucas, Calvin Murphy, Rudy T, Robert Reed, and Moses Malone. You never forget your first game you started. I had like 24 points, three steals, seven rebounds, thing like five, six assists. And here's the thing. I didn't shoot no jumpers in that time. <laughs> if I even looked like I was going to be in and shoot a jumper, I knew I was coming out. When you got Lucas, Moses, Rudy, and Calvin, so most of my points came with just running the floor and getting layups. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what, what was Rudy like then? What was he like as a, as a guy? Between those guys I just mentioned, one other guy that I really got to call out would be, if you remember, Mike Newland. Yeah. Mike Newland and Rudy Key, being a small forward, they really took me underneath their wings. Rudy was one, he would not let me take that time off. He said, hey, even Mike Newland, during practices and all, he said, hey, what are you doing? You're not bringing it. You're not bringing it. And, and so Rudy, you could see that coaching style that he was going to have in him. And the unfortunate part is we won four, I'd like to say five games in a row until the unfortunate incident that happened in L.A. That incident happened with Rudy subbing for me. He subbed for me, and 30 seconds later, you know, it happened. Yeah, you're talking about the Kermit Washington injury where he was punched, right? Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, and it was like I said, he just the buzzer rang, and it looked like he was talking, I got you. I said, okay, you got Jamal Wilson. As I was walking to the bench, the action was going away from us, and I saw the whole thing happen. So we had something getting ready to happen. He could sense it, and to that unfortunate incident. Yeah, he made an incredible comeback, of course, from that. And I want to take you to that finals run in 1980. You faced Magic in the first round, and you faced Larry Bird in the finals. Not sure if you guarded Magic, but I believe you guarded Larry in the finals. What do you remember about facing those two guys? Well, I had Magic in 81 a little bit, along with Tom Henderson, who was our guard from the Washington Bullets. Moses literally put the one and twos on his shoulders, right? One and two on the right, three and four on the left. And he took us, and, you know, we had Dunleavy, Murphy, Allen Devil. You know, we all came together, and the Whopper had the Whopper. So we won that. The best series was when we had to go seven games against the Spurs. Then came Boston. Now, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. That first game, I got dressed, had my uh, toast with some honey and hot tea. And before I walked on the door, out the door of the hotel, I got on my hands and knees, and I said, Lord, now you brought us a mighty long way. And we want to thank you. I want to thank you. Now, Lord, you know I've never played for victory. I'm not now, but just do this. Give me the strength. So this white boy Larry Bird does not get MVP because I got to go back home to San Antonio. See <laughs> that Maxwell got it. <laughs> so but no Bird Larry Bird, I'll be honest, you could put the, the years from when he first came in till I retired first. You could put our whole sentences when we talked about probably four sheets of paper. And it was a good game. We always pointed at each other. We never really shook hands until after the series was over with. But he was the type of guy, a player, that if you didn't bring it that night, he'd tell you, just, why don't you just go home? Just go on back. Because <laughs> he wanted the competition every night. And you have to respect that. I wanted to ask about Moses Malone, one of the greatest centers of all time, and helped uh, get to the finals, obviously, that year. What did you think of his comments when they came out that he could take any four other players and beat the Celtics? Did that just rile up the Celtics even more? What was well, your response to that during the, the finals? Well, 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 when Moses said that, you, I knew straight up that was going to be bulletin board material. And I, I vividly remember when reporters came to me and they asked me about that. I said, well, I'll tell you what. You, know, you remember now, we didn't have no cell phones back there. 
I said, tell you what, when I go home, I'm going to call my mom and see if I'm not from Petersburg. <laughs> you had to back the big fella up. Because that's what he believed in. That's what he believed in. And that's why he got us there in 81. Because Moses just got tired of losing. And, and the one thing that got us there, and he said it in his book, is Coach Pat Wiley, is that when he only played Moses four minutes in that All-Star game that year, he said, if I'd have given him probably six to eight minutes, he probably wouldn't have gone crazy like he did. But that, that was the pride, that was the character that Moses Malone had and the love he had for the game. Well, Moses retires, and then you decide you're going to retire. I guess I was about 11 years old at the time. You were in the prime of your career. Uh, you said it was because of uh, religious reasons you missed the 82 and 80, 83 season, or the 82 83 season, and, and hadn't really planned to come back. You were working at a cement plant and you were studying to become a fireman, right? How, how serious was all that for you? <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Not everything is over with. I can be honest with you and tell you this. Part of it was talking to Moses, and when the Rockets didn't want to match that $20,000 offer, extra of Philly, and I kind of, he knew, and I knew what was up, that the Rockets were going to try to go for Ralph Sampson, correct? Yeah. Gina comes in last. I'm sorry. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it. So, you know, now it's all over with. I had a great career. And, yeah, I went to Miami. My wife, my kids, became a deacon in the church, worked in like an eagle store that was equivalent like a Walgreens, but without the pharmaceutical, but so closed. Then the cement uh, factory. So that's what I kind of did. And I didn't even really think about it until Bill Fitch and Ray Patterson called me. And Fitch said, so his words were, hey, I remember how you played against me in 81. I'd like you to come back and do that for me now that I'm a coach here at the Rockets. Me and the wife, we talked about it. My first wife and uh, I went back. And we kind of picked it up. And you got you got to realize, too, we were three years ahead of schedule of what the organization, Charlie Thomas, Kitsy, Bill, and, and uh, Ray Patterson, was ahead. You know, it was supposed to be four years that we were going to start being this team. We did it in three. When you came back, you joined Ralph, and then Akeem came the next season. What was it like playing with the young Elijah one? And give us your, your best dream story, if you would. Not only that, but you got to remember, a lot of people thought the Rockets were wrong and, and taking Rodney McCray instead of Clyde Drexler. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, you got to realize this is what they were looking at. Okay, if we get Clyde with his athletic ability and the player that he was, now you got a little conflict with Ralph, and then we got a team. But look what we did. We were able to, to get Rodney and myself, and me and Rodney used to say, Do you realize we're the best small forward in the league if you add up our points and rebounds together? <laughs> so we were able to mesh as a team. Now, my best color of our dream, I'm coming down the floor. And when I was playing the point, and I hear his voice say, Buddy, give me the bonbon. And I look and I see three guys on him. I said, Dream, you got three guys waiting for you. That's okay. I took on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I just gave him the ball and he dunked on him. <laughs> and the fun part about Dream's game is when he started getting that, getting in that groove, he'd get the biggest smile and laugh on him. And he said, Bring it, man, bring it, man. And, and you, you had to enjoy it. You had to love his enthusiasm and his love for the game. Unbeatable, that Akeem. Uh, a year ago, Unbeatable. Yeah. A year ago, Grantland wrote a story about the 86 team called The Next Greatest Team That Never Was. Everybody talks about those drug suspensions with 
Mitchell Wiggins and Lewis Lloyd. But I know just as frustrating has to be Ralph's injuries. He was never really the same after the finals against the Celtics at the Garden. Do you feel like just having Ralph not get hurt would have kept the Rockets in contention for subsequent years, or were there greater forces at work? I'm glad you asked that because of this. If we would have had the sports medicine that these young men players have today, Ralph would have been a, a factor, a tremendous career, and definitely, he, you know, he got into the uh, 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 collegiate hall of fame. But you remember that uh, horrible fall he had at the Garden, and came to find out that part of his hip, just that left side or the right, was an inch off. Then the next year, his knees gave off because of that hip. So now he's got the inch off the hip. His left knee is halfway go. Then the third year comes the right leg. So, so no, Ralph was never fully healed to be the player that as rookie of the year that he was his first year. That was the Ralph Stamps and everybody knew was supposed to be there 12, 15, maybe 17 years in NBA and be one of the top leading scorers. So no, we missed that. With Lewis Lord and Mitchell Wiggins, Lord have mercy. How can, how, how can you put it? A lot of players had one, two, three, four times that they were, you know, suspended. Now these two guys, one time, are suspended for life? One time. So it makes you wonder what's going on. One time only, and now they're suspended for life, and that shakes up our whole team. Yeah, because the Rockets with the Twin Towers there were poised to to make a run towards finals, especially after getting by the Showtime Lakers in that memorable series with Ralph's last second shot. Yeah, but check this out. Who was the one that hit the shot that tied the game up? Hello, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I can tell you one thing about the Twin Towers. One game we played the Celtics. I got the great Dennis Johnson. You know, he passed, he passed away as one of the coaches with the um, MEDLV, the Austin uh, Toros. I let him call behind me a couple of drills. And he stopped. He said, Ray, what are you doing? And I pointed at Ralph and Akeem. I said, do you feel lucky? Because once you go by there, I got me two points. <laughs> <laughs> listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. <laughs>